The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. In a world where Nicolas Cage surprisingly turns in compelling performances sometimes, this is Totally Super. Hey, welcome to Totally Super, where we record podcasts about every single superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. Listen, child! (laughs) We're going to talk about (laughs) Kick-Ass! I'll just come right out. I I loved Nicolas Cage in this film that we're reviewing. I loved him. Yeah, he was weird. He wasn't good sometimes, but he was certainly made choices and acting is making choices i know what i here's the thing he didn't i mean good is a weird metric i found his character compelling charming and believable i don't and in especially in a movie like this i don't know what else i would have needed from an actor you know i we'll talk we'll talk about it um the Mm -hmm. my my feeling about his performance is going to be that i feel like he thinks he's in a different movie than he's in um, uh, because I feel like everyone else seems to be trying to deliver mostly like low key performances and his is mm-hmm. decidedly not that, um, mm-hmm. but we will, we will talk about it. Um, uh, I guess, uh, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, when this film came out, this film is, uh, came out in March of 2010, uh, directed by Matthew Vaughn, uh, um, from, uh, a comic book written by Mark Miller. Now, Mark Miller did, is, did, did we mention uh, we're reviewing kick-ass? Uh, yeah, we did. I said kick-ass. Okay. I think so. Um, uh, Mark Miller is noted for, uh, also writing, uh, Kingsman, the secret service, um, and has, uh, has recently been, um, uh, tapped by multiple multiple different uh multiple sorry i'm stuttering all over the place multiple different film companies to adapt his work so he uh he has a miller world which is going to be uh an interesting i don't think it's all supposed to be a shared universe but there's a shared attitude to his work and if you watch this movie and you watch kingsman also directed by matthew vaughn you will definitely see a similarity between this and those films. If you like those films, you should like this. Now, at the time that this came out, we're in 2010 and we've already had Spider-Man. We've already had, I don't know, has has Avengers come out yet? If it hasn't come out, it's in about to. 2010, it had not. It did not had not come out yet. So uh Iron Man had already, and the and the lead up to Avengers had already begun. This is a film that is in the middle of like we call the Iron Man and Avengers MCU the the renaissance of superhero films. But let's be clear, we are in the middle of the X-Men at this point. We're in the middle of we're 10 years after that first X-Men. We're well into the the era of Spider-Man. Iron Man has already come out. I think Batman Begins had already come out, if not The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the concept. The, the are, concept that hey, superhero films is a thing we're doing now has already been very much established. Yes, and for us as as film goers and as as superhero fans, there was a lot to choose from at this point. There were a lot of things that we could watch 
if we wanted to watch something. So in contrast to the film we did last week, Mystery Men, we have a film coming in at about the same, at a lower budget than Mystery Men, 20 to $30 million, uh, that gets a box office of $96 million, so $30 million more than its thirty million more than its budget, whereas Mystery Man thirty million less. Why? What's the difference? Because other than Nicolas Cage, we don't know anybody in this film. Is it that it has the word ass in it? Is it that it's a rated R superhero film? We've had the Blade films, but this is again, without this, there's probably no Deadpool, because this is the first full-on, let's just do it completely rated R. Why did this movie resonate? And significantly did this movie at the time at the time you saw it resonate with you or have you ever seen it before um i had a few years ago uh i found it on like video or on demand or something and watched it and i as i remember i got like halfway into it and then just sort of went off and did other things um so you have not watched this film in its entirety until now until now that's correct that's amazing that's amazing. I'm so excited. This film is a favorite of mine. At the time that this film came out, it was right after my film company released uh, my first released film, Ninjas vs. Zombies. And in the midst of uh, of prepping and, and getting together to film our second film, Ninjas vs. Vampires. And so I was, we did a film every two years. So I, at that point, was constantly with my cast and crew. We were always kind of together. All right, good to because go. Because we spent six years doing nothing but making films. So yes. in the midst of all of that, I took my good friend Will to go see this film. And Will is a comic book, or at the time was a comic book nerd, far beyond what I was at the time, and maybe even far beyond anything I was when I was at the height of my comic book nerdery. Um, so it, he was the perfect guy to go see it with. He also has um, one of those senses of humor that delights in the wrong, in the in the grotesquely wrong sometimes. So I saw mm-hmm. it with the perfect person to go see this film with and had just a spectacular time. Normally, this would be the point when I ask you what your impression was of the film, but given that you don't have an impression. We're gonna have to save that till the end to find out where your review of the film is. So if you don't mind, I would love to give us a plot. Yeah, go ahead. Dave ponders why there are no superheroes in the world. And after being mugged one time too many by local thugs, he decides to become kick-ass. He gets a costume off of the internet, puts it on, grabs a stick and goes and tries and beats up a couple of thugs. But Unfortunately, as might actually happen, he is both stabbed and run over by a car. In being run over by a car, his nerve endings are severed. He can no longer feel pain. He can take damage like no one else can, and his bones are reinforced with metal. He decides to go back out as kick-ass and starts getting a following when people film him on their phones and post him up to MySpace, the MySpace that will never go away, MySpace, all over this film, this film brought to you by MySpace. Meantime, Big Daddy, played by Nicolas Cage, and his daughter Mindy, otherwise known as Hit Girl, have been training to make their debut in the city as real superheroes. They've been training for years, prepping for years. Mindy, ever since she was a baby, getting ready with Big Daddy to avenge the death of Big Daddy's wife, Hit Girl's mom. They decide to make their debut when Kick-Ass starts to be... uh, Sorry, when Kick-Ass begins to be popular on the internet and is mistaken 
as Big Daddy by the leader of the evil bad guys who killed Big Daddy's wife. So Big Daddy, Kick-Ass, and Hit Girl lead an assault on the big bad guy, which I can't remember his name, and we'll go back to it, of uh, uh, Frank. Uh, leads an assault on Frank. And what happens is that Big Daddy is burnt to death. Kick-Ass joins forces with Hit Girl for a final assault, finally coming into his own and credits roll. But not before we see a glimpse of Big Daddy's son, played by McLovin, deciding to avenge his father by becoming the, and again, this is a rated R podcast, jump ship now. Okay, told you so. Rated R, bad language coming, the motherfucker. So that's the podcast we're in. That's the movie we're in. We're going to say motherfucker. Oh, interesting. He doesn't... uh it's not specifically said in the film that that's what he's going to become, but that makes sense because there wasn't. He M doesn't call himself chest. the motherfucker in the in the no. He in, does in not this part of the film. I get he does not. So I you know I wa- I have watched both films. His 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 code name is going to be the motherfucker. That's going to be his name. Um, again, we warned you bad language. We can't not have bad language because if we're going to quote, um, if we're going to quote hit, hit girl, this is this is a film replete with language violence everything you might expect except for sex there's not really any of that what is uh what do you think of this dark turn this this turn toward the obscene this pre-deadpool um just languishing in in violence and and profanity was it time had enough films come that this needed to happen what are your thoughts Uh, here's the thing i I don't have a problem with, I mean, you know me, I don't have a problem with uh, darkly violent films when done right. Um, I don't have a problem with dark, violent superhero films. Uh, I'm on record as having loved both Deadpools. Uh, throughout watching this film, I I didn't know what this film was trying to say. What it was trying to say about the superhero genre, whether it was glorification or whether it was satire. Um I mean, overall, there was there were a lot of really well done elements in this film. Uh, Good acting, uh, some good dialogue, a phenomenal soundtrack. But just as a whole, like even watching this again, I did not watch this sitting down on in one two hour session. I kind of watched it over like in 20 minute chunks over the past few days. Uh, and that's not my normal thing. It's, and it wasn't just because of schedule. It was just because it was like, I'd be watching it. And then I just kind of like, same thing as before. I just kind of, I wasn't compelled. Um, that's really, and and it's, and it's weird because the thing is, is it's like, like, yes, there are some specific issues with the storyline that I have. Um, and I have no problems with many films that don't necessarily know exactly what they're trying to do. Um, so long as whatever they're doing is enjoyable. Um, you know, it's it's hard for me to put down. It's hard for me to exactly put my thumb on uh, why it is that this doesn't resonate with me. Um, I mean, that's I'm sure what I'll be spending this podcast trying to do. But uh, but to, to answer your original question about um, I, I can't speak as to whether it was time for, you know, the darkly violent thing. Uh, I feel like it was not new. The concept of, oh, let's take a dark and violent look at superheroism. That's been going on since the 80s. Uh, I did. I don't feel like it was breaking any particular 
uh, moral taboos by being made or anything like that. Like the, you know me, I have no problem with a uh, with a good dark film like this. Um, at the same time, I don't feel like it was particularly groundbreaking, even for the time when it came out. That's interesting. Um, this film did something that I really liked. Um, my opinion of this film was very different than yours. I've seen this film a number of times. This is one of those mm-hmm. films that I wish I could see for the first time. Again, you know, you have those films that like you watch, like, I wish I could watch that for the first time again. And this is one mm-hmm. of them. This film was the first that I can remember that asked the question, why don't normal people just go out and become superheroes? And what would happen if they did? I can't right re- now. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say it's the first one ever, but it's the first one I remember. It's worth noting that when I was a kid, I would go out and make a grappling hook for myself and try and get it to go around trees. I made costumes. I des- I created comic book characters. I had a comic book named Z-Strike that I wrote and drew with my buddy Steve. Being a superhero is something I wanted to do more than anything. So the the opening question of the film, which I think is pretty definitively answered by the opening scene of the film, where you see a superhero dressed as a as a bird who jumps off a building and everybody thinks he's going to fly. And no, he doesn't fly. He just smashes to his death on top of a cab. Mm-hmm. The That question of what would happen if somebody tried to be a superhero always stuck with me. Um, and I kind of have always wondered what would happen if I would. I, You said to me once, and I don't know if you still think this is true, but you said to me at one point of when we were acting together in Romeo and Juliet that I was one of the few people that you would want to actually fight. And I have always felt pretty darn tough because you said that. Um, it's not true. You would totally destroy me. But the fact that you said that means that I'm super tough. I've always imagined if I put on a costume and I just cut loose and nothing could hold me back i'll bet you i could go out there and right wrongs and i think that people like me who were particularly bullied and i was i was much more than dave the main character in the film who just blends into the background i never have been a person to blend into the background i've been the person who always shone but sometimes i shone because i was weird and bizarre and that was just a spotlight on me to give the bullies a clear look at where to punch so the desire to be able to put on a mask and repercussion free, become a superhero and right wrongs and seek justice is something that I have always kind of imagined that what if I did, could I go do it? Um, So this film resonated with me in that way because I felt like, I felt like this was an answering of that question and a realization of my childhood dream of doing that now the answer is no it would suck you destroy yourself and you'd be really bad at it and the only way to do it when you're fighting against killers is to kill it's the only way that you really could go out and do it and you don't really want to do that you can't both be a superhero and also be heroic in the real world because it doesn't work that way so it was such an an interesting exploration of my of my childhood fantasy that it really did resonate with me did you ever do that like did you ever imagine becoming a superhero when you were a kid well i was more into fantasy sort of stuff so i certainly involved uh i certainly uh you know daydreamed about uh about adventure um i was not specific to the superhero stuff no i see what you're talking about with the uh you know it's certainly that desire that latent desire certainly resonates for anybody who's been bullied uh for and that experience that Dave had at the beginning of essentially looking and seeing 
not only being the victim in a situation, but seeing ordinary people just standing by and doing nothing. Um, that is a tremendously disheartening experience. And it's one that many of us have had. And it is completely natural that, uh, that the next question becomes sort of then, well, you know, why doesn't somebody do something about it? Uh, but I think you hit on it though. The one thing I will say this, uh, I will say the one question that this film did kind of the the film raised the question are not just why don't more people become superheroes, but what does it take to actually become a superhero in the real world? And I do feel like they answered that. And the answer was a lot of training and a willing to go to extremely violent places, Uh, not just in terms of location, but actually in terms of what you are willing to do. Uh, I felt strangely enough that uh, up until the end, the final the final fight, I thought they started up until the final fight. Uh, I really felt like what they did with Big Daddy and Hit Girl, you could explain away in terms of good training and realistic, like everything I was watching uh, in the warehouse, uh, even when Hit Girl was coming in to rescue Big Daddy and uh, and kick ass. I was like, OK. Given the right training, given a kid who's had 10 years of training with this and the right kind of equipment, I could absolutely see that being done. It would speak to a crazy father, but I could absolutely see that being done. Uh, Towards the end of the film, she was doing things that I thought, okay, now that really is you're you're asking me to like I had to suspend my disbelief for the first time. Um, But getting back to the realism of it. Because like I said, throughout most of the film, it was a pretty realistic film. And I did appreciate the fact that they said, well, realistically, if you want to fight killers, you're going to have to be willing to kill harder and faster than they are. And which then leads to the next question. If that's the case and if that's what you're doing, are you really being a superhero? Or at least certainly that's the question that popped up in my mind. What I saw in this film was not somebody learning how to be a superhero. It was about learning about someone learning to be a warrior, which is a different thing, not necessarily a bad thing, but very different than what I think when I think superhero in my mind. Well, I think that maybe one of the things postulated by the film is that in trying to be a superhero, you're going to have to be a warrior, like you said. And Yes, there's glorification of it because, you know, this is a superhero film. Ultimately, again, like Mystery Men, it is both the thing. It wants to have its cake and eat it, too. It wants to comment on the superhero film also being a superhero film. But yeah, I'd at agree the with end, that. I think I think the decision and it's an interesting decision. I've rarely seen a superhero film where at the end of it, the main character decides, no, I'm not going to be a superhero anymore. I'm done. This is not good. This is not healthy. We can't continue this. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that is the definitive answer is yes, it's saying you have to become a warrior and don't do that. Don't become a warrior because that's, you know, that's not a way to live. It's better to go live your life. Um, I could see that. And I did, I I did appreciate the, uh, the one scene. And this is literally the only thing that I liked about the entire romance arc uh, is when he said, when he was finally with Kate, he realized, Oh, I get it now. I get what it's like to actually have something to lose now. Like, I love the fact that he stopped wanting to be a hero and to put himself in danger when he realized, shit, I actually I have stuff that's worth living for. 
which he didn't. I mean, it's not it's not like he was suicidal before, but there was nothing. There was no passion in his life other than the idea of superheroism. And then when he got another, you know, arguably much healthier passion, he realized, oh, maybe this is a better way to do it. Well, I think that it's, you know, there are. So let me let me go sort of beat by beat. And we'll talk we'll talk about it because there are some issues to be brought up. And I think Katie is one of them. Um, In the first section of the film, you have a lot of discussion about superheroes, a lot of the setting up of the world, a lot of setting up of who the people are up to the point that he decides to become kick ass. You see that he is mugged in the street. You see how common it is. I guess he's living in. You know, I'm not really sure where he's living, where he has to walk through the bad side of town to get home or, you know, a place where he gets mugged all the time or it's it's commonplace at this point where he always has. Yeah, to it was a, it was a very it was a very strange New York City Um, there. You know, he seemed to live in a relatively OK part of town, um, a very suburban part of town. So maybe they like there are comic stores close enough that he does, wouldn't necessarily need to go into the city to go. But fine. Um, we have him and his friends uh it's interesting it's a movie about what would happen if you became a superhero because both he and his best friend get to become quicksilver i think that's really such an interesting (laughs) you're right (laughs) it's like it's the story of two quicksilvers one aaron johnson that no one liked and one his best friend evan peters that everybody liked um I think that you you have this setup up to the point. I think you can see a very clear point at the beginning of the film. I don't know if it's quite the end of the first act, but it's I, I would probably call it the end of the first act where he gets stabbed and knocked over and you meet everyone. The problem mm-hmm. that I have in all of this is that one, Katie is clearly utilitarian. And from the moment you meet her, you see that she is the object of his affection who exists to be nothing except the object of, of his affection. Her story is uninteresting. Her she doesn't have she has no life outside of her desire to or, or his desire for her and her perfection. It is the same problem you could lob at, let's say, Penny and Doctor Horrible, but you can excuse it for Penny because Doctor Horrible is only fifteen minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, well, and I, then layer onto that uh, a uh, a to me a a much more problematic thing in that his tactic for getting the girl is not only the antithesis of a lot of what superheroism stands for. It is so unbelievably not okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very gay panicky. It's very gay panicky. It's um, not just gay, not just gay panicky, but the, uh, I mean, it definitely is that too, but okay. It is one thing that if you are at school and a girl thinks you're gay, and you pretend not to be or and you pretend to be in order to get to know her better first that is not okay on one level like that yeah, is like so that before, let's establish before that. we go deep but before we go to the second level let's focus on that level for a second because this is you know this is played for for significant laughs and, and in a really wrong way in um in the third Harold and Kumar film by by um but Dr. Horrible, why can't I remember his name? What's Dr. Horrible's actor's name? Because my brain is farting. I had enough coffee. Neil Patrick Harris? By Neil Patrick Harris, yes. He does it in a hilarious send-up of himself. But he is A, playing himself. And B, he is a gay man playing a straight man pretending to be gay to get to the girl. And even there, mm-hmm. it's problematic. And it is played specifically for the extremeness 
of doing that. It is it is the cards against humanity choice when he does it there. And that's mm. why it's like <laughs> that's a good okay. phrase um, here. It's not played for that. It's played for a it is all the inverse of this is, of course, that boys out there who are gay are really straight, but they just don't know how to get along with girls. Um, it's it's a rumor that I've seen that I saw in college a lot. I don't see it that much among adults, but it's something I heard, you know, a friend of mine who was gay there had, you know, people go, I don't know if he really is. Maybe he's just doing it to get in your pants. I mean, that's it's. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. Well, it also sends the it also sends the message that a that a straight man cannot have a platonic friendship with a straight woman without there being some kind of ulterior motive. Yeah, and that and that the friend zone is something that you can work your way out of by being cool, by getting yourself close to her as a friend, you know, and tricking her into liking you. Um, now mm-hmm. he does. It's worth noting that he does agonize over it, and I will give him, you know, give him that he, he that you know when he reveals <laughs> it, he's like, "What I did was wrong," but it's still the 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 entire plot line. It's uncomfortable and un- unnecessary. What's the second level, sir? Now, the second level. So I was saying the whole there is a there is a preliminary level of wrong. If you are just at school and she is, you know, hanging out with you because she thinks that you're gay and you do not correct that. There is a whole second level of wrong when she starts inviting you over to sleep over when she when she gets topless around you because she feels that level of comfort with you. And that is based on deceit that goes beyond gay panic. Um, and that delves into a much darker, uh, you know, a much darker echoing of the me too movement. Like that is, um, that is not a harmless fun sort of thing that, I mean, it's essentially, it's, I mean, I I can't say that assault or harassment is the right word for it because it's a friend of mine has a great word. It's a, it's a, it's a little rapey. It's a little rapey. It's yeah, it's a little, it's a little rapey. Yeah. Um, now, um, I want to let, let let us remember this is a character who is in high school um, and let us remember who we were in high school, who many of us were in high school and the lessons that we have learned since high school and also lessons we have learned and hopefully are espousing to our children that have changed in the last 10 years who would be people raising a high schooler today might have a different experience than people raising a high school mm-hmm. high schooler 10 years. Yeah, ago. no, the world has changed a lot in the past seven years. I will absolutely I had that. I had a crisis of conscience. Many um in college but one in particular i remember where there we had a girls dorm and a boys dorm and uh i was hanging out with my female friends in the girls dorm and one of them needed to change and we were friendly and she's like can you just turn around and face this way so i can change and 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 she was changing and she was i think she was coming in from the shower like they, so i was visiting the one roommate and the other roommate who i was also super friendly with came home from the shower you know and it's so weird because it's you know it is like the movies tell you girls run around in towels it really happens um so so i am in the room and i'm turned and there is a mirror in front of me that gives me a full view of her in the towel. Now, as an 18-year-old, red-blooded American male, 20-something years ago, I, of course, am going, I can just see. I can, I can see everything. You know, I, oh, boy. I chose, much to the chagrin of my libido, to d- divert my eyes. 
Because what is civility except choosing against our basal or, or, or baser animal instincts? So I was mm-hmm. like, I am going to lower my eyes. Will I tell you this is this was a beautiful girl who I had a big crush on. Will I tell you there was a part of me that goes, should I? Like, did it enter my head to look to go? Who does it hurt? Did it enter my head? Yes. Did I look? No, because ultimately my brain and my heart and my caring of that person as a human being goes, goes, I would love to see what she's revealing, but not this way. This is not how yeah, I would I, uh, want it to be. Well, I, I, so, I have two thoughts on that. The uh, first regarding that specific situation that you were talking about. Um, I mean, I think it is, it is kind of exciting to see what's happening nowadays because the world in which you and I were, uh, the world in which you and I were brought up uh, just to establish like had because i've been in situations like that before too and had either of us looked it wouldn't have been okay 20 years ago but culturally we were brought up in a world where the where they were it was sort of just like ah yeah you shouldn't have done that but uh boys will be boys and the decision of not to look in its own way was seen as a Oh look what a what a good considerate man I'm being right now. Like this was a sure, this was a hard we thing, lived, and I resisted we lived in the world of pork. We live in the world of porkies and revenge of the nerds, where there are significant yeah. plots about doing this in beloved nerd friendly films. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, nerd friendly you know, films that are quite you know films that are quite forward thinking in other ways. Um, you know, nowadays we are living in a world in which. No, that is not a it is not a supreme act of decency to look the other to to not look in the mirror. It is it is actually the minimum requirement of being a decent human being. Um like I, that's that's the message that is being told now. It's just like, oh, it doesn't matter if you're tempted or not like that. Like normal good people don't look. Uh that is the message of today's culture, which I think is much closer to the truth. Um but uh, I, mean, so I, would, about- I would say, yeah, and, and again, I don't want to harp on, on this as a topic, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I want, I don't want to give him a total pass, but I do want to give him, a, give him a pass in that, you know, A, he's a high schooler, B, he feels bad about it, and C, he admits it to her. He goes, this was yeah, wrong, the, uh- what I did was wrong, and, and you deserve to know about what I did. Um, so, yeah, so- I'll, I'll, I'll just... Uh- I'll just finish my thoughts on it, too. And then, yes, we can definitely move on. Um, So regarding how it is in the film. First, yes, to a certain extent, you know, yeah, this film was 10 years ago, different standards, and we do need to look at it through that lens. Um, Also, uh, you make a good point as a high schooler going through that. Like I have. I'm not so much angry or irritated at the character. Um, because as you say, he made a mistake. He even realized it was wrong. This sort of thing. What I am irritated at is that the movie did not like, it's not a character in a story. It is not the responsibility of the character to be good and make the right decision every time. In fact, that would be a very boring story. It is the responsibility of the story though, to provide realistic consequences to the wrong decisions. Like, even though Dave came to the realization that, oh, this was all wrong. The movies, the, the movie actually was in the background saying, uh, yeah, but it kind of worked out. So maybe. Yeah. Well, I think is that so to the 
to the theme of the movie, and again, to those of you who join our reviews for point-by-point reviews, we'll give you a, a synopsis at the end, but this may be where we spend most of our time. Is this then the problematic, problematic nature of this movie? There is a point where Hit Girl murders a woman. Now, it's interesting the film doesn't want to let us see her murder the woman the way that she murders the men. We see her stab through a door, but we see the, the blade go through the door. Um, that is an interesting point. And I do remember being deeply disturbed by that one. She murders a woman who she didn't need to, who was not, yeah. who was essentially, yeah, yeah, the woman tried to kill her once she, but she was a home invader at that point. Like the woman mm-hmm. was standing by when horrible things were happening, but she was not, a, she was not an imminent threat. She was, we didn't see her doing anything bad except like being there. She was she clearly become, trying to, she was clearly trying to run. And she, yeah, and she didn't become violent in any way until, until Hit Girl had already started killing everyone. Um, and yet she is utterly murdered by that. And yeah. there are no, there are no consequences to Hit Girl's murder of people. There's no mm-hmm. sense that she should be arrested. The cops aren't out to get her. The, uh, other than the, the bad guys. She never even has a, cri- the- she never has a crisis of conscience at all yeah th- and there's for no that matter problem once dave starts killing he never has a crisis of conscience about it either yeah um nobody in this film cares that they're killing other humans and mm-hmm. is that is that a, a problem with the film in general is that the film is not interested in showing you the consequences as much as it's interested in bringing you through its preliminary thesis which i feel is, like what is it like to be a superhero? Yeah, I feel like I, I think you've hit on the crux of it. The and I will say, actually, uh, as much as the whole a lot, a lot of the Katie stuff bothered me, this particular question, I feel, is a much more uh, darker, contentious thing. Lest uh, lest we get caught into the oh, yeah, like <laughs> we both agree. No, no. Violence is a worse, you know, like the whole, uh, you know, people say, oh, you'll allow any kind of violence on TV, but no sex. Uh, like, I think we both understand that. No, this violence thing is a deep problem that needs to be looked at, too. My question well, with this thing. one. I, I love I love wanton violence. I do. I do. The Crow was incredibly like the Deadpool films are mm-hmm. infinitely more violent than this. But by their nature, they're not asking you to follow follow the character through other crises of conscience. Um, they yeah. are like the, the way the film is portrayed from like you are meant there is a key moment in the film. What I think is maybe one of the key moments in the film when hit girl receives a butterfly knife and she's playing with it and she's trying to get her dad to pay attention to her being a being a kid going, hey, look what I can mm-hmm. do. Look what I do. And he never looks. And it just feels like it's a key moment to her that makes you feel for how bad it is that she's raised this way there. They really do tell you it is bad that she's raised this way. I think the film says that and it says yeah. being kick-ass is bad and it's hard. And if that's going to be what the film does, if the film's going to look at the psyche of these people in the way that it does, like the fact that big daddy kills without compunction. I don't care. It's not in his psyche in that way. He's driven. It's a revenge plot. I get that. But mm-hmm. if the film's going to say, hey, we're going to look at the effects of being a superhero and the way it, you know, that it, that it deals with the people like they think that that is if, if Kick-Ass is a precursor to the Spider-Man Homecoming version of Spider-Man, 
if the Spider-Man Homecoming version of Spider-Man is involved in the killing of just regular people, I feel like he would be bothered by that. Yeah, the here's like with Deadpool, it is obviously absurd. It is obvious that they are making, well, not necessarily deep commentary on the whole genre. Uh, It is obvious that they are playing up the violence for both comedic as well as absurdist effect. The trick, the problem that I had with Kick-Ass is I couldn't tell whether the whole hit girl plot, you know, the fact like they make it clear they're murdering without without compunction. Did they choose to not have crises of conscience in it just because they didn't want to deal with it? They didn't recognize that it was a major question or was it one of those things where they just said, hey, we're just bringing this up and we leave it to the audience to think about it, which is Maybe. not necessarily I mean, the wrong thing. I mean, this this film was not clear about when it was commenting and when it was glorifying. This film is not, you know, more murdery than any other superhero film. I think it's safe to say that Hit Girl murders fewer people in this film than Iron Man does in every film he's in. Like he yeah, just, if we're going know, by quantity, absolutely. Yeah, he just like you know, you know, the current iteration iteration of Batman kills people all over the place. Superman, you know, like it's you know, there. But I feel like this film has a tone, has a, lingers on some of the the kills that that make me feel like it's it's deliberately raising the question. I feel like it's raising the question if it's right or wrong that she's doing that. Because mm-hmm. it's just the, especially it's raising the question in more it's raising the question in a subtle way like there's no and to be fair well specifically the murder of the woman specifically abs- the, the the murder of the woman I don't think you're supposed to be on hit girl side in that situation I think it's supposed yeah, to bother you I could this see that a scared person running away and if you're gonna do that then then you need to do that and if you're mm-hmm. otherwise maybe don't have that scene maybe go you know what yeah when it gets violent then it's just gonna be crazy violent and let's go for it. Um, I mean, it it is a movie that has moments in it that deeply unsettle you. They don't and unsettle is the word like that just sense of out of sorts. Ah, there's just icky. I feel weird. And they don't address it. And I can't tell. uh, And this is not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes this is the mark of good art. I can't tell whether they are deliberately trying to unsettle me or whether this is just a side effect that they weren't expecting. Uh, by which I mean the creators of the film. This movie have to is imagine, unsettling. I have to imagine it's deliberate because, um, first of all, the the cover to Kick Ass is a is it shows ink like they're like being drawn, but it looks like blood the way it's coming off of them. And mm-hmm. there's something about that that says kind of what it is. Also, if you look at the second issue of the Kick-Ass comic books, there's a picture of Kick-Ass looking heroic, and it said, "It says now even more violence, just like you like it." Oh, fair enough. So I think it's you know I think it's it's gleeful violence that's meant to make you feel a little bit bad for liking it. Um, I would I would uh, I would agree with that. I think that's very very likely. So let's go through the characters real quick. We generally don't go plot by plot. Um, uh, just to cover the rest of the plot, the action's good. It's a stand. It becomes a standard Batman plot, really. It's the the main gangster versus the new hero. Um, mm-hmm. It's you know nothing about the plot is is terribly different. The the uh, I keep calling him McLovin. Poor Christopher Mintz Plus does actually a really good job. 
in the film. I like him in it. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I think everyone will agree that Chloe Grace Moretz is a, you know, here at the age she was when she made this is just miraculous. She's Loved just, her. Um, and I, I dare say that as good as I've seen her be, and I've seen her, seen her be good in other things, she's never better than this. This is she just glorious. She's almost Deadpool in her, in, in her love of violence and profanity. I just, mm-hmm. and I had never seen it before, and it was just wonderful. Nicolas Cage as Big Daddy. So you liked it, huh? You liked, you liked Child? I did. It was charming. It was weird, but it was, char- I mean, it was Nicolas Cagey, but I, uh, I thought it was good casting for the role. And I, I mean, I will say just in terms, both in terms of storyline and in terms of on screen chemistry. I always felt like the film came much more alive when it was hit girl and big daddy having a scene together than just about any scene that, uh, that Dave was in. Like I liked the chemistry between the two of them. I liked the relationship. I, uh, I don't know. I mean, there was part of me watching the film at times that I was like, I kind of wish that these, that like the film had focused more on these two. Uh, although then it wouldn't be called kick-ass. Uh, but to me, that was the more, that was the more interesting story, partially because of its weirdness. Um, uh, so what did you think of Aaron Johnson as Kick-Ass? You know, I think that he's an interesting guy um, with an interesting look. I hated him as Quicksilver. I really enjoy, I'm, I'm on Dave's side. I get where Dave is coming from. I like that he is, you know, he looks totally different in the costume that he does out of the costume. Out of the costume, he's got a, a, a real kind of, attractive but not attractive look to him that that, mm-hmm. that is unconventional he i believe him as the wallflower um and i very I, and easy I, for me i believe Sorry, him I, gonna... I i believe him not just as the wallflower but also the wallflower who can suddenly look handsome at the end of the film because by the end of the film in his costume with his hair sort of matted down in that particular way he looks totally different and I believe him as kick-ass. I mean, I think that he's he does everything required of him. I think that it's one of those things where I don't want to say that the protagonist is boring. He's less exciting than the other characters. But I think that if it was just the other characters, the film would be just, you know, wackadoo. And I think that he is ground I think he grounds the film in a real way. I get his pathos, and it's very easy for me to transpose that makes sense. You know, eight, 18-year-old me onto him. So I really dug him. Um, what do you think of Mark Strong as Frank? I love Mark Strong. Um, I think that he is, you know, as good as he is here in Kingsman, which we'll have to decide whether or not we cover because it's not technically a superhero film, but it was a comic book. But um, I love him in that film, and I bring some of my love of him from that film into this film. Again, the the character is is stereotypical, but I dig that he, you know, that he has a a relationship with his son that there's, there's a, a normalcy that he's trying to have, but also he's, you know, comic book, you know, tripe. I, I kind of dig him, but really it's, for me, it's, it's hit girl. And as much as you like big daddy, I think that big daddy's a little over the top. I really like Aaron Johnson in the role. I, I, I am. And maybe that's, do you think maybe that's why you're not connecting as much? Like his, it's like Aaron Johnson. I see me. Do you not? See no, I like Aaron. Johnson? I like Aaron Johnson in the role. I thought he did a great job with the role. I just, I mean, I, I didn't find the character as compelling as I was expecting it to be, but I thought Aaron Johnson's portrayal of the character was quite wonderful. 
Um, the film ends in a magnificent, uh, in, in a magnificent, sorry, magnificent shootout. As a fight choreographer, what do you think of the violence in the film from a purely technical standpoint? All right, here is my main, uh, and again, I mentioned it before. And for me, it's hard for me. I can't, uh, I can't completely divorce technical from artistic, um, even in fight choreography uh, terms, because to me the choices that you make in terms of a fight uh you're not just you're not just communicating the story of character a hits character b you're communicating in the style that you use you're feeding into or taking away from the tone that the rest of the film has been uh that the rest of the film has been setting you are saying every move that a character makes should in some small way be saying something about the character uh from a from a way it was filmed, I overall, I really enjoyed the fight choreography. Uh, the final fight I thought was great. It was clear. Uh, you could see everything that was happening. Like you could see every move. You could follow the storyline of it without losing intensity. And that's a that's a narrow tight rope to walk, uh, especially considering this was made after Gladiator when uh, after Gladiator and uh, the Bourne series, when the concept of let's use shaky cam and quick cut in order to feed into intensity at the expense of losing the clarity of the fight. But uh, my, my only issue with the final fight was that, and really it was more in the gun. It was more in the gunplay was that hit girl for the first time became unbelievable. And really what, what jumped out at me was the, the moment when she ran out of ammo, pulled two ammo clips, threw them into the air and then in the air, sort of reloaded her gun with that. Um, it's something similar to what they did in the Dark Tower film, but in the Dark Tower, it kind of works because the character is meant to be beyond human. Uh, her final fight with Frank, I really enjoyed. That was great. It played up the differences in character and size. Uh, it showed her scrappiness. Uh, the final move that knocked her out where he just slammed her into the table and the table broke under her, that, that had impact and weight. Uh, so on its own, I liked the fighting a lot. My only issue with it was that it did not, it did not keep into the tone that the rest of the film had been setting up to that point. I, I hear what you're saying. I think that for me, there's something about, so Matthew Vaughn at this point for me is a brand. He did X-Men first class. He did layer cake. Um, X-Men First Class in particular takes some of this kineticism and at, puts it back into the X-Men films where it was missing. Um, but the he finds what his brand is in Kingsman, um, which is this. It's just the crazy, over-the-top, super violent, really fast um, glee there's a glee in in the violence in here and i think he's finding his brand yeah i could so see as that a as a as a as a proto brand matthew vaughn happening in this film i totally love it and so i get that you might not but as myself be i, I am a fan of him as an action director specifically so watching him it'd be you know here's an example here's a great way of putting it I am also um, a fan of uh, Edgar Wright, 
who did uh, the Cornetto trilogy and who did uh, Baby Driver, which is wonderful. And of course, one of my favorite films, which we're absolutely going to cover, Scott Pilgrim, which they name drop in this film, by the way, which I love. Um, I think that Edgar Wright has this thing he does with cuts that are just bizarre and like like over the top, you know, showing doors opening. Like it's just like if a door's opening, it's oh, dramatic door opening all the time. And that's something that he does mm-hmm. as part of his brand. I see the hit girl thing in this, specifically the way that the action is with her as part of that brand. And it is it is something that I really, really like. So I now, understand. Don't get me wrong. I I loved the combat. I I could see that glee that you're talking about um, in every action sequence. I could see a director and a choreographer taking delight in the medium that they had. Uh, I mean, you know, to me, the best writers and creators are people who take their medium and use it as their playground. And I absolutely saw that here. I just I felt at the end that glee and delight, which, you know, if I were just watching just that scene uh, in any other film or even as its own five minute thing, I would have had literally zero issue with it. Um, I just felt it suddenly felt like a different movie. It didn't feel yeah. as connected. So it's interesting. Yeah, I know that you you are a professional musical theater actor. That's a thing that you do. Um, the fight scenes in this more than almost any other strike me as musical numbers within the show. And I do have a problem when I see dance shows, when I watch, you know, a South Pacific or I watch an anything goes or something where the plot stops. So we can watch this amazing dance number. And I really prefer shows like beauty and the beast or les miserables where it's never about the amazing dance number. It's, you know, it's woven tightly Mm -hmm. into the plot. And it's very easy to look at this and look at the action scenes in this film as exactly that, as you know, what like when it's interesting you have all the music the music's super dramatic um but then you know as soon as that fight that you're talking about at the end when hit girl goes crazy you start hearing i don't give a damn about the generation like the music becomes this like poppy it it's almost is a full on dance number and i think it would be i can see mm-hmm. why it would be easy to emotionally check out of it i think if you are not already you know if you're not already caffeinated and jazzercised by what you've seen at this point it is going to be emotionally jarring. And I think that if you are, if you are exhilarated, well, I, didn't already, I didn't emotionally check out. I was still in it. I just felt taken to a different place than the film had been leading before. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, given that uh, you and I uh, in some ways agree, in some ways disagree, my, I'm really, really interested in this, Arthur. On a scale of one to five switchblades, how would you rate Kick-Ass? And I really want to hear why. I want to hear the, your reasons for, for it. All right. So I am really torn. Um, by the way, I noticed that usually I'm the one who has to go with these first. We're, uh, uh, and I'll play into it. But next time around, I definitely want to hear your rating first. Uh, the I am really torn. You know what? OK, I'll give it a three point five. Um, from my own experience of how much did I enjoy this film? Probably a three. but. It was weird because I'm uh, and this is as as somebody who deals with chronic depression, uh, I have gotten used to having moments or days where I'm experiencing something and I'm feeling, huh, emotionally, I am not reacting to this with the level of delight that I should be. But 
mentally, I can look at it and see that all the components are there that I should be delighting in this. Uh, and that's what I felt when watching this film, uh, which is why I would bump it up to a 3.5. There was a lot of technical stuff that was done right. Like I said, I cannot speak to how much I loved the soundtrack to this, both the combination of original music as well as, uh, you know, as well as pulling in other songs that were deliberate homages. I mean, when Hit Girl walks into the lobby uh, at the end and they start playing, I think it was Fistful of Dollars, definitely one of the Spaghetti Westerns. Uh, it is both the movie was the, the music was both compelling and also was commenting at the same time, which is a wonderful combination. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of the acting performances that were turned in were great. Um, yeah, there were some plot issues that I had, but a lot of the dialogue worked halfway decent. Um, although now that I think of it, Kick-Ass probably could have had a better final line when killing Frank than why don't you pick on somebody your own size. Uh, but yeah, so so if I was going purely by emotional response, it would be a three. But based on the fact that technically I saw a lot that they did right, I'd, I'd bump it to a 3.5. So I loved this film. I really did loved this film. Um, mm -hmm. I, when I saw it, I was enthused. I still love this film. I will watch this film again. I will probably watch this film quite a few more times in my lifetime. That being said, I am going to have, I'm going to, I'm going to rate it a 3.5 as well. Um, oh, interesting. Well, here's the thing. I was thinking about making it a four. And if I look back on everything that we've done, everything's a four, everything's a four and a 4.5. Yeah. I was, um, I was thinking the same thing too. Um, this is, if it were just me, I would rate it, I would rate it a four, but I have to say, you know, it does have the problematic thing about the gay panic storyline. It does have the rapey scenes. It does have the not answering the questions of the, of the violence. And it does have modest aspirations. The fact is, is it's, it, it does really well for what it's trying to do, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't succeed in everything it's trying to pull off. Here's the thing. I gave Mystery Men, I think I gave it a four, and I'm giving this a 3.5. In my personal, I would definitely rate this above Mystery Men, but I don't think it's as important. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's as creative. I don't think that it is as subversive. And I don't know that it continues to stand the test of time the way Mystery Men is. I mean, Mystery Men was 10 years earlier and is remembered more, even though it was more of a failure than the original Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass is mm, a film point. that happened that was done better by Deadpool. So I love Kick-Ass because- Oh yeah, that's, speaks, a, that's a good point. It speaks directly to me. It speaks directly to me, but I can't say that it is great. I say certainly go see it. And I think for some of you, like me, it's going to be a four, maybe even 4.5. You asked me another day and I might have called it a 4.5. Before this conversation, I definitely would call it a four. And then, you know, damn you, Arthur, for well, I, I taking mean, away here's the thing. my I'd joy. Agree. If you, if you, uh, well, uh, two things. First, I would agree with you. If you are okay with ultraviolent, with a tendency towards the dark comedy, this is absolutely a film worth seeing. Absolutely. Um, also, and you've heard me say this before. I am a firm believer that lots of times we'll talk about films or pieces of art in terms of, oh, there's an objective good or bad on the spectrum. Uh, whereas I'm I am convinced that especially when it comes to films, yes, there are objective things that make you much more likely to enjoy or not enjoy a film. But I would be willing to say even as much as 50 percent 
of whether or not you enjoy that film has nothing to do with the film and everything to do with the environment in which you saw the film, what mood you were in that day, what happened to you the night before. Like 50% of your enjoyment of a film is because of what you brought to the film, not what the film brought to you. So it is entirely likely that had I watched this film, like maybe when it came out, had I seen it in a theater with a group of my friends, um, you know, had I been in the middle of a very similar project, like you were with Ninjas versus Zombies, uh, this film might have resonated with me emotionally on a much higher level than it did when I was just sort of watching it around the house over the past couple of days. Yeah, I think that ultimately, I think that whether or not a film is good um, objectively is some weird math formula that includes ambition, ingenuity, technical quality, and self-respect for what it is. And I think that mm. I don't know what the numbers are, but I think that those are the the main, you know, the main things. Um so it's very easy for me to say, you know, would I say, for instance, would I say that The Dark Knight is objectively better than this film? In every measurable way, The Dark Knight is me better than this film. There is no world mm -hmm. in which anybody can really say Kick-Ass is better than The Dark Knight, but I mm -hmm. like it more, you know, and yeah. look, I like, I like gummy bears more than I like salmon. Salmon's better, but I like <laughs> gummy bears better. more. So, salmon are you not just better for you, but it arguably has a more nuanced taste. But yes, you're, yeah. that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Some, sometimes so, you just yeah, want a so big this, fist full of gummy bears. This is a, this is a big fist of gummy bears. All right. So. We are required, we're contractually required next week to hit you with Kick-Ass 2. Can they make it better? Can the introduction of Jim Carrey into the Kick-Ass world, uh, Jim Carrey, I love, especially at this time, um, can, mm -hmm. he, can, can he inject spark where you maybe didn't see spark before? Does he make it better? Or does this film fail to kick ass? We will find out next week on Totally Super. But for now, my name is Justin. And my name is Arthur, and hey there, true believers. Kick ass! <laughs> <laughs> now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not safe for work Star Trek so podcast Trek with off. Justin and Search Alexia. for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs>